I had the pleasure of seeing a very, very good movie last night. It's called 1917, directed by Sam Mendes. Some of you will have heard of it because there's a lot of Oscar buzz about it. So I went to see that movie, and it's called 1917 because it's set in 1917 during the First World War. And it's really, it's a fictional account, but the cinematography and the setting are very, very realistic to what real conditions were. And what the movie surrounds is two men who are um, corporals. They're given a very important task by the commanding officer that there is uh, aerial um, reconnaissance has been done behind the German lines. And as it turns out, uh, the, another company had gone forward thinking that because the Germans were retreating that there was a, a full retreat and they could take advantage by attacking at that point. But the aerial reconnaissance has realized that in fact that it's a trap. They retreated in order to be able to counterattack. An entire battalion of men is in danger. So the commanding officer says, you need to get to the, to the Devons, uh, that uh, battalion, and you need to warn them, and you need to send them this letter from the general saying, call off the attack because you need to be protected against the German counterattack. And so it's really a race against time. They really have about 24 hours to go and get there before the attack is called off. Otherwise, their compatriots could all be slaughtered. And so it's the story of them really making their way to try and find, and I won't spoil it to tell you what happens and how they get there. But I do mention it because uh, it's such a great movie, I think, because it really focuses on these individuals and their heroic efforts to get to the front to do something bigger than themselves, to save not themselves, but to save their compatriots. And they're doing all of these things, and although it's a fictional account, what was so moving about it was it's not so different than the experience of so many foot soldiers throughout history, and particularly in the First World War, acts of bravery, acts of heroism, acts of doing something for something greater than yourself, that nobody will ever really know. You do it, and you do it because it's important, and you don't get any praise for it. You do it instead because it's the right thing to do. I don't want to minimize in any way the horrors of war and how many atrocities and terrible things also happen alongside it. But we also need to recognize that there are good things that happen there too. Now, I mention that not because I want to talk to you about physical battle, but instead I think what that really made me realize and think more deeply about is the spiritual battle we see portrayed in the gospel today. And that is a spiritual battle that is waged by John the Baptist and by his disciples. And it is a battle, I think, more than anything, a battle that is waged against pride. What this battle that John the Baptist wins is because he is willing to do what is right, to do, willing to do what is good, and to do it heroically, while at the same time realizing that him doing this will heap praise on another person and mean that he fades off into the background and gets forgotten. I'd like to speak to you today about the value of humility that John the Baptist shows us, and also to talk about how it is that that informs our Christian life as we seek to follow Jesus, to give him glory, and not to heap glory on ourselves. Now, to illustrate why John the Baptist was a person who is, uh, like I say, fighting a spiritual battle and, and winning a spiritual battle against pride, it's really important to understand some of his background. If you've uh, been familiar, gone to church, or read through the Gospels, what you may know or you may not know is that there are four Gospels in the Bible. This is in the New Testament portion, so the Old Testament happens before Jesus, the New Testament happens after Jesus. And there are four Gospels which are basically biographies of Jesus. And if you ever wonder why do you have four biographies, it's because each of the people who write these biographies tell the story of Jesus from a slightly different angle. And what you'll notice then is, is that a lot of times the things you expect to show up in a Gospel don't, they're actually in a different one. We just got through the Christmas season, and it may surprise you to know that the only time we hear the story of um, the angels coming to visit the shepherds, of Jesus being born in the stable, 
The only time we hear those stories is in Luke's gospel. The other ones decide not to mention it, or maybe they didn't know that story. Matthew's gospel is the only one where you hear the story of the wise men coming and the, the, the King Herod trying to slaughter the little babies of Bethlehem to try and kill Jesus uh, in the cradle. And John's gospel himself tells the great story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, but he's the only one who does it. It's not unusual for the gospels to tell different parts of the story. But there are really two things that are really interesting. The two things that show up in every gospel and are really strongly emphasized. One is the cross and resurrection. And the other is John the Baptist and his ministry. Every one of the Gospels starts off Jesus' ministry, public ministry, by showing John the Baptist and how powerful a ministry he has. It's a clue to us that John the Baptist was a really, really big deal. And Luke underlies this in a lot of ways because in Luke's Gospel we're told that not only does John the Baptist grow up to be a big deal, he's a big deal before he's even born. There's a, a story in Luke chapter 1 of how Zechariah, who is John the Baptist's future father, Visited by an angel, just like Mary's visited a little bit later by the angel Gabriel to say, your wife is going to have a son. You'll name him John, and he's going to do great things. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And so Zechariah, from the very beginning, knows this guy is pretty important. When he uh, finds that his, his son has finally been born, and he uh, names him John, he sings a famous song, uh, sometimes known as the Benedictus or the Song of Zechariah, and he says, you know, that you will uh, go before the Lord to prepare his way. John the Baptist says it himself when he gets to his public ministry that he is a person who's come to make the way straight because the Messiah, God's Son, is coming after me. And of course, Jesus himself says wonderful things about John. In Matthew's Gospel, he says, you know, of anyone born of woman at this point, there's no one greater than John. He is absolutely a stellar prophet. He gets crowds who travel not only uh, through difficult snow in our car like we do, they travel out miles into the burning desert so they can go out to the, to, the, to the River Jordan to hear him speak and to baptize. He is a person with a tremendous following, who is a really important deal, a person that God values, a person that human beings value. And what does John do when Jesus shows up? John at the pinnacle of his ministry, the pinnacle of his power, the pinnacle of, of his acclaim, and hear what he says when he sees Jesus coming and after Jesus visits him. He said, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. John the Baptist says really clearly, the whole reason I came is to prepare for this guy. This guy is coming, he is greater than me, so you who have been paying so much attention to me, I'm going to start fading from the background, and you need to start paying attention to him. In fact, he doesn't just say this to the crowd in some general way and then move on with his ministry. We are told the next day John was standing with his disciples, two of his most devoted followers, and he says to them, look, here is the Lamb of God, and what happens? The two disciples go off, and they start following Jesus. John the Baptist and one of the reasons he's so great, John the Baptist is great because he realizes what his mission is, and he realizes his mission is not to win glory and power and praise for himself. He realizes that he serves the people of Israel best by showing them who Jesus is and letting them follow Christ and giving up what he has had in order to step back and let Jesus shine. And that is a deeply, deeply important message for us all. Because the thing for most of us and for most people throughout history one of the greatest challenges that we face is the challenge of humility in the, in the opportunities we have for pride. 
In other words, one of the greatest challenges we have is that we often want to cling to people's praises and our power, even when we're called to do something greater and to let that glory, glory and praise go. Now, one of the things that's really challenging for us in the modern age, of course, is that everybody's always struggled with pride. Everybody likes having people say nice things. But in our modern era, it seems like we're constantly surrounded by the temptation to seek fame and power. One of the things that uh, has arisen, I think largely because of social media and reality television, is the phenomenon of a person becoming famous for being famous. What I mean by that is you look at reality television like the Kardashians, for example, or you look at The Bachelor, or you look at all of these different things that are on television where people become famous. And then you step back and think, what are they famous for? Because some camera crew followed them around their house while they had some fights? Are they famous because they, they, they've made a pyramid or something like that, like people usually won fame? No, they got fame simply because they had the good fortune of some a camera company saying, I want to follow you around while you act in terrible ways. And they become famous. Now, most of us probably don't have that aspiration, but all you need to do is look at YouTube and Instagram. Those are particularly uh, places where people, you notice, not just post things because they're sharing with friends. You notice how often people are posting things I think because of the same reasons they see people praised in, in reality television. It's good to have lots and lots of people watch you, to think you're important, and to like you. And so you get all of these things, not just for sharing, but also pouring in likes. And you ask yourself, why are people doing this so much? I think many of us struggle very, very much in a big world in which so much seems to go on that's, that's very important. We struggle with our own importance, and how is it we tell ourselves we're important? Lots of people like me. I got lots of hits on my social media. I got lots of people at work saying I do a great job. If you're a preacher, what makes you feel like you're doing a good job? At the end of the sermon, everybody says, oh, good one. That was so, you're such a good preacher. Isn't that what we say? I wish you'd say it more often, of course, but, uh, you know, totally unrelated to the sermon. You know, you can just say, oh, you're great. Anyway, in all seriousness, don't we want people to praise us? There's nothing wrong with praising a person for doing the right thing, but the problem is we become so addicted to it, sometimes we forget why we're doing what we're doing. For preachers, this is really challenging. We've seen throughout history, and unfortunately, it's an ongoing problem with celebrity preachers or people with a giant church, and you see there's some giant fall that happens because they believed all of the praises people gave, and they ignored the things that were inside that weren't right. And so you see a financial problem or you see some kind of sexual misconduct or they bully other people because they listen to all of these praises. They're seeking fame and instead of being grounded in doing his right, giving glory to God, they give glory to themselves and they follow themselves down a path that's deeply wrong. You know what our goal needs to be? Our goal needs to be as John the Baptist has done. That when I stand up and preach, the goal is not to say, look at all the people saying I'm great. Wouldn't it be wonderful instead if people lined up to say, wow, what a great savior we serve. I remember a few years ago, I listened to an interview with a dress designer, and I can't remember his name, unfortunately. But he was asked, you know, what do you want people to say about your fashion? What do you want people to say when they see some woman wearing one of your dresses? And he says, you know what? I don't want them to say anything about my dress. My job has been completed. If when they see a woman wearing one of my dresses, they say, oh, wow, how beautiful you look today. And forget that they're wearing a dress that I made. My goal is to make the person who's wearing the dress look good. My goal is not to make my dress look good. How easy is it for us to forget that that's exactly the goal we have when we follow Christ? 
I know that there's many things he calls us to do that will win us praises. Sometimes you see uh, in public television or you see ways that people win prizes or they win awards because what they have done is something that's really impressive. Maybe it's an act of bravery. Maybe they've served the community really well and they deserve to be praised for it. The constant challenge we have is do we do it so that we are praised? The sad reality is, is that so often the praises that we seek end up becoming things that tell us we're important. And what John the Baptist was able to do is to say, no, follow Jesus, not me, because he knew what was important is Jesus. We are valuable. We have worth. We know that we have real meaning in this life, not because everybody says wonderful things about us, but because our Lord made us in his image. And if he thought we were worthless and not worth anything, then we wouldn't have a cross hanging on the wall that tells us that our God loves us enough to become one of us and to die and to rise for us. We have hope. We have something that's a grand foundation when we realize that our worth and value come not from the praises of people around us, even well-meaning praise. Our worth and our value come because we recognize who we are in Christ's eyes, and that's what matters. If you want to be a person who's secure in yourself and in your own esteem, follow John the Baptist and realize that his example shows us where our true esteem comes from, the knowledge that we are serving and loving the one who loves us more than we love ourselves and more than the world could ever love us. There's a second point that I think is really important in John the Baptist and what we saw here. Because what we ended up here with is not just John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and saying, follow him. What we also see him doing is saying to his disciples, you have an important task. And he tells them to follow Jesus, not by arguing, not by saying he's got all the wisdom in the world to convince you about the value of Christ. He simply says, behold, see, and look at Jesus. Again and again, what we hear throughout this gospel uh, section is not John the Baptist arguing by his smarts or saying, I'm so charismatic, you need to listen to me and trust me based on that. Instead, again and again, he says what he saw. Verse 32, John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And I said, the one who sent me to baptize with water, say, he on whom you see the Spirit. I myself have seen and testified this is the Son of God. As he watched Jesus walk by, look, here is the Lamb of God. When his disciples go and ask Jesus if he can stay with them, he says, come and see. And they came and they saw where he was staying. And then as a result, Andrew and the other disciple go to Simon Peter and they go and say, I want you to come and follow him. My point there is to say, if you want to follow John's example of humility, then recognize John, even in his preaching, was saying, all I want you to do is to see this guy and spend time with him. John the Baptist sees Jesus and he realizes he's somebody worth giving himself to and giving glory to. He says to the disciples, see this person. And then they come and they see Jesus and say, can I spend time with you? Jesus says, come and see. They are transformed when they see Jesus and spend time with them. And for that reason, they become effective witnesses. Sometimes I think that we believe that if we want to be an effective witness for Jesus, we need to be very, very well-versed in philosophy. We need to have great uh, answers to the questions atheists must ask us. We have to be a person who, in lots of different ways, really encourages people through our charisma and our argumentation to come and believe. But so often, they're the very people everybody wants to avoid, right? <laughs> Every time you have a conversation, they've got 15 reasons why you should believe in God. That's not a terribly effective strategy, but I also think... It's not actually terribly biblical. What do we see here happening? We see people simply wanting to spend time with Jesus. And as a result of them spending time with Jesus, the person who loves them, 
They go into the world and they love others and they are compelling witness to Christ because they've allowed his spirit to infuse them. One of the dangers we have as Christians is also that we love to experience the love of God as if we're out suntanning on the beach and we lay out and we feel that warmth and then we get up and everybody says, wow, what a beautiful tan you have, right? Instead, I was thinking about how better to explain what it is Jesus is showing us. When I was a younger parent and my child was a toddler, I remember somebody gave us a Care Bear. And this particular Care Bear was something special because it was a Care Bear that had glow-in-the-dark fur. And you know what that Care Bear needed to have happen? When I sent the baby to bed, or I was ready to put the toddler down, I would hold up that Care Bear up to the light for about 30 seconds. And then I'd put her in her arms and I'd turn off the light and the Care Bear would glow. Not because there was a little light inside the Care Bear, but because I held it up to the light and absorbed the light and reflected it back. It made a little child who was scared feel a little bit more comforted. Can't we be Care Bears for Jesus? Seek out where Jesus is and spend time with him? That's hopefully why you came today. It's not because I'm going to hear a brilliant preacher, not because everything is all wonderful and always will be flawless, but because I see Jesus at work here and because I see that I want to be there. We have communion each week because here we are assured and promised by Jesus that this is my body and this is my blood and I will be coming to you through these. We're assured by Jesus, by uh, the scriptures, that God's word doesn't return empty, which means even if Father Stephen has a swing and a miss at the sermon today, there's something that God is going to lodge in my heart because God says I'll be present in my word. And he also says where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, I'll be right there. What does that mean? It means when we gather, we come here because we know Jesus is going to be in our midst. And that's a good thing to absorb. But remember, you go out into this world and it can be dark and it is certainly cold. What do we do when we go into the world with humility, pointing glory to Jesus? We allow that, that presence of Christ to shape us so that our actions and our words look more and more like Christ. When Christ came into the world, he showed people through his actions and his words that he loved them and they followed him. Let's show the world through our actions and through our words that we follow Jesus, that Jesus has an effect and that our lives have been changed for the better. And that we are people who are not known for preaching to everyone and and arguing with everyone, but instead to be people who are known for those who forgive quickly, who don't hold on to grudges, who love those who aren't easy to love, and who are consistent in caring for those who are most in need of care. What's the call? Come, absorb the love of God, absorb the light of God, and let that light shine before others, giving Him the glory when people ask what they see in you. Remember, they see good things in you because they see God in you. And that is a great privilege, to be a carrier of God's light into this world. Let that encourage you and let that challenge you as you go to face the darkness and challenges of the day.